Hello, and welcome to the Develop Podcast. Thank you for joining us. My name is Ben Gilbert, and I'll be hosting a series of episodes which explore how the Salvation Army is working within different communities around the world. For this podcast, I caught up with Richard Bradbury, an officer from the UK, and Angolia Kamanzu, who works with water programs and food security out of the Sweden office. And I spoke to both of them about their approach to how the Salvation Army works with communities who are dealing with water issues in Kenya. And they gave me some understanding about how the Salvation Army works in Kenya and its approach to solving some of the issues around water. So I think for the Salvation Army in Kenya, Angoli and I went on a long journey together um, with our teams. We started off with our approach with Washware. We literally just went into schools and built up the facilities in the schools, provided um, clean water, sanitation, toilet facilities, and a little bit of... um, training for the the students that was there but I think as we went along in Golia we kind of Mm. found that actually there was a much more integrated and wider approach Mm. that was needed there was Mm. like lots of things the kids would uh, be washing their hands at school and Mm. then go home and um, not have anywhere to wash their Mm. hands or be Mm. telling their parents that they needed to wash their hands and and uh, there was also kind of multi-levels of problems, I think. It was it's not putting a toilet in a school is not really going to solve the community problems, the issues at home. So I think we kind of went on that journey. I don't know how you would... Absolutely, Richard. And uh, then we developed the community development aspect. Yeah. Because most of the kids, when they went home, they faced the same challenges of sanitation that they faced at school. So if you address the changes at school, you needed to address at the community, at their yeah. homes. And there we actually agreed in principle how to work with the communities. Yeah. So one of the more complicated questions that we deal with in the development sector is this whole issue about giving away free handouts. So I was interested to find out what Richard and Angolia thought about that and how that fitted with the water programs in Kenya. We developed something that I really liked. This aspect where the parents, they contributed 50% of the cost for the water tanks. Yeah, that's right. Big surprise for us. Yeah. We thought that we would not be able to, to pay. But in three months, they actually settled that money. Yeah. They paid. And that, that was a learning for everyone. Yeah, and yeah. thousands of households took this yeah. Yeah. kind of uh, partnership up with the Salvation So they, mm. the Salvation Army paid 50 percent of the cost of a water tank to be at home mm. and the parents paid 50 percent as yeah. well and then they would harvest the rainwater and have a usually an all-year-round supply of exactly of water we initiated it and but we we decided and i think thanks to richard he didn't feel in giving things for free and that's why he had a bit of discussion but we, we agreed and it actually worked 50 percent it, it, it worked very well. We gave it a prop- and then George and the team they had a very good system of making sure the people who get this fifty percent subsidy they're really the needy ones, not the teachers, and uh, and of course the parents really responded very well. Yeah, yeah. But I think the initial mm. the initial feedback mm. came from the from the community because the yeah. the, the evaluation yeah. those were the kind of things. 
that were coming back mm. from the community and from the kids, actually. Mm. And I think the other thing, Goli, if you remember, mm. is that we actually felt that in the first phase of the mm. project, yeah. that we had underestimated how children could be a real agent of change, change in their communities. Exactly. Yeah. So actually, we were going to um, parents' homes when mm. we did community walks mm. and interviews, and the, the parents were telling us that our children have taught us yeah, how to, to wash, wash our hands, hands, you know, yeah. and um, and they were telling them that we no, we're not gonna, you know, go mm. to the toilet out yeah. in the bush or out in the open. We need something mm. safer. Mm. So, you know, whilst we initiated it as the Salvation Army and the team, mm. I think the the ideas and the solutions actually started to stem from the feedback, didn't they? Yeah, indeed, indeed, actually. And one aspect I really liked that you emphasized a lot was the uh, community contribution like most of the harvesting systems the the material like sand stones came from the parents yeah they the did school. that themselves and that's something actually we don't really cost very no, much i we, know richard you worked a lot with it with george yeah and that's something we could really show that the communities have they own the pro, the, yeah. the project manager he still is a project manager we are glad he has stayed this yeah, long well, that's been one of the big things and one yeah. of the learnings, I think, yeah. for us as mm. Salvation Army is he stayed with the project for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. So he started the project right. and now we're on phase three, three. of the project. Mm. Mm. And, um, and he's been there the whole time. So mm. that consistency of leadership, I mm. think, has been, exactly. has been really vital. But I do agree and I mm. remember very often being very humbled by mm. parents walking, yeah. especially the mm. women, long distances yeah. with bricks on their backs and mm. bags of yeah. sand mm. coming to the school as their contribution mm. to the school, mm. the school's project as well. So exactly. it was a real kind of partnership with the community. Listening to Richard and Angolia, it became very clear that just dealing with the water issue on its own was not really going to lead to any long-lasting solutions. So I asked them about how that whole integrated process works on the ground. What happens practically? We had an interesting uh, sort of learning project from CEDA, SMC, on resilience. And we actually did a six-month uh, learning together with Kenya yeah. East. And Malawi also, they came yeah. on board. And that has really helped us to, to change our thinking, to, to look at the, the complexity of development. The, the, the issue of climate change, that is not enough to address just the wash, wash solutions. You need to look at all the shocks that, that are coming every now and then with the, the floods, like now it's flooding, or very prolonged drought like has happened in Kenya just the last few months. So that sort of helps us to realize that we needed to redesign the program much more, to have even a much deeper integration where we look at resilience, work with the communities, they do their own analysis, they do their own measurement. And uh, yeah, we, we, we put in two uh, counties, uh, Isiolo and uh, Samburu, that actually Richard initiated a small pilot project. So we're really looking forward to, because that would really be a total yeah. area, a new area for the Salvation Army with a new approach. Mm. I love that piece of learning, though, that with the six months that we mm. genuinely felt like we were kind of journeying together mm. as mm. we learned more about resilience mm. with Sweden and with Malawi, Malawi. Project Office. Yeah. And one of the amazing things uh, about the Malawi project yeah. office is that they came to the Kenya East project office uh, to learn about WASH projects yeah. and how they would do them in their community. Yeah. And they went back and in some senses did them better than we did. 
And so then our project office went to them. Yeah. To learn. I think our project was yeah. a little bit weak on the agricultural right. side. Right. And they had really learned from when they came here about you know, some of the issues with the agriculture and where we were struggling. Mm -hmm. And so didn't have to go no. through that same no. learning no. in Malawi. And mm -hmm. they'd really run with that. So then our project office yeah. in Kenya went to Malawi to learn about the agricultural side exactly. from them because oh, they were oh. doing and I thought that was fantastic, it's fantastic. It's fantastic. you know because it literally was a, a kind of stairway of building building yeah, blocks amazing and I thought that was a real journey together mm. and even as managers like mm. Mm. I would have regular yeah. um, weekly or yeah. bi-weekly conversations with yeah. Christian about what yeah, exactly. managing resilience yeah, right. and how to be more yeah. adaptive mm. and mm what that looked like exactly, in the context exactly. of Salvation Army yeah. and uh, development. So it was a really interesting yeah. piece of work. Yeah. And we exactly. were really learning together, actually. Yeah. I think that that's could say the thing that we miss Richard in that aspect, because we've developed the um, adaptive management. It's a very, very essential uh, part yeah. of resilience, uh, the, you know, integration. And uh, George quite understands, but he's not the project manager. That's a bit of a dilemma for us, because... You were not there, Richard. When when we we did the planning for for Museto, we, yeah. we were working on that, and uh, George came out very strongly in some of the dialogue with Australia. Yeah. He told yeah. them, "Oh, here we are going to do adaptive management." Yeah. And I thought, hmm, "Resilience knowledge is really fantastic," but that's a gap we have now at the project manager level. Is there? But we needed it sort of to at the project office level, the project officer level. But we'll see how to address it. I think that adaptive management it. is difficult mm. for development offices, mm. especially those that fund projects. Mm. Mm. And so it's difficult. People have to, you yeah. know, just get yeah. in that idea that actually maybe not always we have to, f we have to put the outcomes yeah. right at the start, you know, right. because if you put the outcomes and the objectives, mm. the, the donors want to see that yeah. so they know mm. what they're funding. Mm. But we know that actually as you go through the project, there are lots of things emerge yeah, yeah. we're talking about resilience so yeah. the shocks and stresses yeah, that come yeah, along yeah. and we need to have a flexible system mm, mm, mm. in our processes and our finances yeah, to yeah. be able to yeah. respond to Copy those yeah. whereas if you've set your outcomes and your objectives and and your outputs mm. or whatever at the start mm. of the project mm. you're kind of fixed by them so it's a real tension yeah, i think is. that's there so Richard mentioned the need for a flexible system there, and that's to address the changing needs and the demands as you implement a project. And I think as an organization, we're getting better at that internationally, but there's still clearly tension between the demands of a donor and what is practically happening on the ground. But moving on from there, I asked Richard and Angolia about how this WASH program had been affecting the rest of the Salvation Army's work in Kenya. And so they were able to explain a little bit more about that. I think if you look at Isiolo, and thanks also to the effort uh, Richard and the team made, we decided to put up a better infrastructure in Isiolo. Salvation Army was not strong there. So once we, we started the, with the pilot project, they, they posted an officer there. So you could say the presence of the Army is felt, and the uh, Probably in the long term, the membership will grow and people will see this project more as, as part of our mission work. So that, that I think, and, and as that is Samburu. Samburu also is very new to the Salvation Army. We are also going to work there. So you, you could say we have a sort of opened those regions for the, the mission yeah. of the Salvation Army. In the first phase, all of the schools were Salvation, Salvation Army schools. Yeah. 
I think that was another piece of learning that right. it's like they were kind of dotted yeah, all dotted over it. the place. Yeah, yeah. So the impact was probably less yes. because mm. we never took a more community minded. So the mm. second phase, mm. we took a much more community minded approach. And so I think we, we our mm. entry point was yeah. always through the core and yeah, the Salvation exactly. Army School, yeah. Yeah. but we'd look at the community. So we yeah, ended up, I think, yeah helping other churches other with churches their schools, schools, the yeah. government with their schools. Yeah. So the, the community was captured rather than just the Salvation Army mm. school. And mm. that built lots of relationships, exactly. government relationships, yeah. 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 better relationships between the schools. Exactly. Um, the Salvation Army mm. presence mm. in that community mm. was really felt and mm. lots of mm. other conversations. Mm. I remember having a conversations once with a guy in a shop. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, we were chatting away to him, and he told me, he said, oh, he said, uh, Mr. Richard, he said, since this project has been in this community, yeah. the whole community, he said, um, the sales of soap yeah. in my shop have gone, gone up, up 400%. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then he yeah. showed me his, uh, yeah. his kind of cash book. Right. And we were able to use that as yeah, uh, evidence, evidence of, you know, the impact the that the project was having uh, uh, in the community. That we we, we took a photo of photo, the guy's yeah. cash book and showed <laughs> that actually the sale yeah. of soap in his community yeah, yeah, had actually yeah. gone up quite. Yeah. So is it? Yeah. So I think that yeah. that capturing the whole community yeah. and being part exactly. a participant in the community yeah. rather than just thinking about exactly. our own yeah. infrastructure yeah. was a real benefit to the mission of the Salvation Army. There is something that has come up recently that really opened my eyes, Richard, and this is the, this, the nutrition in schools. Yeah. We, we, we improve the kitchens, you know, put up a new energy saving stove so they could use less firewood, improve the cleanliness in most kitchens, and that increased a tremendous um, food consumption for the kids. The parents organize themselves, because we always say that the government has to come in, provide the food. Yeah. Parents have actually brought in the food, and it has been yeah, that's true, tremendous. And you see that now we we, we track the performance of the, the kids in school in the yeah. upper primary, better performance in Is the it? schools compared to the baseline. Yeah, um, and I'll never forget, uh, Gole, uh, that uh, honestly one of the <coughs> worst sights I saw in Kenya. One of the things that yeah. kind of hit me hardest yeah. was I remember being in Kitui once, yeah, yeah. and the bell rang yeah. at lunchtime. And all the kids just came out and sat, mm, no mm, food, nothing. Yeah, and I mm, can remember just this overwhelming yeah. sense of sadness coming yeah, off that mm. these kids were coming out. And you could almost see in their faces yeah, yeah. that they were hungry mm, and, mm, you know, and it really hit my heart hard. Yeah. And so this idea that now the parents, are, yeah, you know, are providing yeah, the food. Yeah. And I think that's in most of the schools that we work yeah, now. Exactly. They've got parent-run yeah. yeah. Yeah, school lunches, exactly, exactly. Fantastic. And, uh, if you're oh. saying that that's now in, oh. impacting it's, on yeah. performance, performance. That's, that's brilliant. Tremendous. Now, the Salvation Army is not alone in Kenya working with communities to address water problems. And the key to many of the program's success is how well they connect and link up to the various other organizations and government agencies that are also addressing the same needs. I think that's the direction, and this time we, we upped up the game. So when we launched it, we, we invited the, all the three counties, in, in counties is a source of local administration. They came in the launch in Pan-Africa Hotel. They made speeches. We, I mean, some of them, like McQueney County, where we have 20 schools, they say we are shocked, because I read them the statistics. They said, oh, we should, really? do, we should do more. <laughs> we are shocked by what you've actually achieved. We are not aware of this. 
And the actual is, I remember the deputy governor said we must sign an MOU in Golia so that we, we can partner much more, much, with a much more deeper level. So that, that, that's the idea, actually, because I feel the model is good. Actually, yeah. We can actually tell them, guys, if you really want to increase the, the education standards, like I've really clearly seen, yeah. this is just a few interventions you need to make. Yeah. So that, yeah, we can say we're going to be grand right. scheme of things, I mean, mm. it is a big project, mm. but it's not huge amount yeah, for governments, exactly. you know, yeah. because you're essentially putting yeah. toilets and yeah. water, facilities water facilities into schools. Yeah. Yeah. Um, doing some, you know, yeah, agricultural, exactly. looking at uh, climate issues yeah, and then uh, trying uh, to replicate that in communities on a yeah. much more micro level. Yeah. But for the government, it's, it's a big project for us, but in terms of the government yeah, funding, it's yeah. not, no, no, not very much. Exactly. So if we can engage them you more. Engage them, they could do a lot more. A lot actually, more, yeah. A lot more. Having listened to Angolia and Richard reflect on their time with the program in Kenya, I was keen to understand a little bit more about how that expertise and that experience would help the Salvation Army across the world in different countries who are also addressing water and sanitation and how the experience in Kenya can be translated into these different contexts where the army is operating. So I asked them about that. Well, I, I think for me, and funny you should say that, because now in Bangladesh, it's one of the things that we're looking at is starting mm. a, a WASH pro, program. I think... Mm. One of the things for me is, and I, as I say, I kind of mm. refer back to that Malawi-Kenya mm. relationship, yeah, yeah. is that we don't need to take that same journey. Exactly. You know, we've got the learning, and somehow mm. as the Salvation Army, we've got to try and le learn from other yeah. places. So this, this is actually where this idea mm. of one army comes in, yeah. Yeah. is yeah. that actually probably your starting point would be to try and learn from Kenya, yeah. from Malawi, mm -hmm. from Zambia, that are, you know, from all the other places. Mm -hmm. Look at their journey, see where they've been on. And yeah. of course you yeah. can't, not everything is, will fit every context, mm. but there was lots of learning. So I think one of the problems I think that we've had as the Salvation Army mm. is that we've, we've never learned from each other. That's true. Um, so I think for me, this idea that we're mm -hmm. now, and mm -hmm. I think we're getting much better at we're it. We're getting uh, much better. Mm -hmm. Learning from each other. Mm -hmm. And so you don't need to start right at the beginning. Exactly. That's, exactly. that's already been done. You can yeah. start from, exactly. you know, much further on now. Yeah. So my advice would be go and find out what others have done yeah. and learn from their successes and their challenges yeah, as well, you know, because that's essentially exactly. what Malawi did. Indeed. They came and looked yeah. at our problems, didn't they, with yeah. agriculture, exactly. yeah. and they, they ran with that. They ran with it, exactly. Yeah. So I think we have these communities of practice now, like we run for food security and agriculture, and we run for WASH, yeah. where Kibram is uh, coordinating. That would be, the, it would be where actually Nigeria like, could, could benefit, the exchange learning together. That, 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 would, that would be excellent, like Richard is yeah. saying. We don't need to reinvent the wheel. You can do actually by that exchange program already, you know, learn and uh, don't make a lot of mistakes in the beginning, like the others did. Uh, and if I was able to give one more piece of yeah. advice, like you kind of mentioned, is don't mm. underestimate the strengths of the community. Yeah. Because I so think we've got into this way mm. in Salvation Army mm -hmm. that we need to go and solve everything for everybody. And actually, the community have got strengths and skills that if you're able to kind of mobilize them and engage with them really well, mm -hmm. um, you know, actually it solves most of your problems exactly. and they're able to solve mm -hmm. most of, you know, find the mm -hmm. solutions mm -hmm. themselves and be participants mm -hmm. in that mm -hmm. process. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so the community have got massive amounts of yeah. resources and strengths. You just have to work with them mm -hmm. to unlock them, you know. Total agree, Richard. I actually shared with Matthews now when we met in, in Ghana. Yeah. I told him even for the agriculture and food security, we shouldn't give things for free. Yeah. And I, I've really learned from you on that aspect. I think because this mentality of giving things for free, people don't really appreciate no. them. The, the, we, we, we should charge something. Yeah. We can't give for free. And that way, actually, they run away with it. They, yeah. they really implement and own it. Yeah. Because the problem, I think, these aspects, and I think it's very strong in the army, giving things for free. Usually, you end up with that project and people wait for another project. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. true. Yeah. 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 But it kind so of really, yeah. increases the whole dependency process. Yeah. 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 And I think, I think we got a nice balance in Kenya because yeah. we did have we did. some small grants for the people that the community identified yeah. as mm. the most yeah. vulnerable. Yeah. So if there were people that really you know, couldn't pay, and particularly I think we looked at yeah. you know, the, the, orphans the orphans and, uh, disabled, and um, maybe perhaps those people with disabilities, disabilities that weren't mm. able to mm. economically mm. contribute, mm. then there were some small grants, yeah. but by and large, what most of the them? community mm. contributed exactly. their 50%. Exactly and contributed to the school projects as well. The in-kind amount of money that people contribute mm. is actually, it's like a third of the project It cost. becomes a third of the project yeah. cost. You know, it's, it's like a surprise. Yeah. But you have to work with it consciously, because I remember working with the different project staff, the, it's a big shift to, to realize this is very important. Probably this is the most important part of this development that people have to pay to contribute. Oof. Financially, not so much that you know they feel that you know it's it's a burden, but but enough to really realize, huh? I need to give something tangible, yeah. and it's, that's and they own the project, then they as own well, the project. Don't they? It's their yeah. project. It's not exactly. It's uh, not being come and mm. done onto them. They're yeah. a participant yeah. Yeah. in the yeah. wider processes. A huge thank you to Richard Bradbury and to Angolia Kimanzu for spending the time with me, telling us a little bit more about the WASH program in Kenya and the lessons we can learn from that and apply that across the world in the work that we're doing. 